I was glad to hear Linda um, revert to an earlier theme in children's sermon because that's what I'm going to do this morning as well. Uh, we explored in uh, a sermon uh, two or three weeks ago uh, a theme called Building in Mystery. And there, if you recall, one of the centerpieces was a story about a children's uh, musical group learning a new song. One by one they went through it. One by one they learned it. Then they sang it together. Then there was introduced another part of the song that had to harmonize with the first. One by one they went through it. One by one they learned it. Then they sang it together. And then the big challenge, they were challenged to sing it again, only this time one part of the group would sing this part and another part of the group would sing this other part and those would blend together. And we use this as an illustration of a covenant community pursuing a common good that could be offered as a blessing to the larger world. And to do that, they had to share the resources of time and talent and leadership and everything that's involved in achieving such, such a, a, uh, an end, uh, which can be seen as a representation of what the Bible talks about when it talks about God's justice. A way of humanity being together that utilizes the talents and resources and gifts and personalities of all toward a commonly shared good thing, a good thing identified, defined as God's vision for what human life is supposed to look like. That set me thinking in uh, several directions, one of which is represented by the title of this morning's sermon, Soul Sculpting. Because as we thought about those children singing, we realized that they were doing something more than just producing a song. They were becoming a certain kind of person. They were shaping their innards, if you will, in a spiritual, intellectual sense and their social patterns of being together in such a way that when they were finished, they were at least in some small increment a different kind of person. They were now a person who had accomplished something that was created by all of them working together. And that has an indelible, leaves an indelible mark on any of us when we engage in that kind of activity. We're not only doing something, we're becoming something, meaning in a sense we're sculpting our soul. To take this thought in a certain direction, one of the reasons we're in the trouble we're in as a human race that the dark forces of injustice have the run of things in too many times and places is that we operate with ideas and concepts that are too weak to do the job that they're supposed to do, that we need them to do. This is true of moral and religious ideas as well as political and economic ideas and other areas of thought and action too. Take salvation, for instance. Salvation merely 
as rescue from punishment for breaking the rules is a rather weakened idea in which rescue alone comes up short. There's far more to salvation than that. Or salvation merely as declaration of forgiveness, particularly forgiveness that does little more than gloss over the real consequences of the sins that are seeking, we're seeking forgiveness for. This is forgiveness as a kind of spiritual judicial decree that does little to alter what's going on inside to produce those behaviors. The operating systems, if you will, that are actuating the personality, that are sending the personality into action. The sculpture of mind and heart, if you will, that is generating the behaviors that are observed and often are damaging. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, pastor, theologian in Germany and resistor to Adolf Hitler and the Nazis, called this kind of forgiveness cheap grace. Cheap grace. Salvation merely as authorization for entry into heaven at death can be sort of like getting the hand stamped in a public venue where you have to pay to get in so that you can get back in if you step outside for a while. Limited to weak versions of these concepts, salvation remains a weak player in the high-stakes competition that shapes human life in this world, day in and day out. One observer suggests that there has been in modern society a degradation of religion to a purely private affair. A therapeutic tool, sort of, that could be picked up in times of need but which would never turn into a lived creed. You know the difference. Because you live among a people who take seriously that, that religion or that faith is to be a lived creed. And you show that in a variety of ways, time in and time out. But when religion becomes a therapeutic tool that can be picked up and discarded uh, at will in this kind of way, the result is that religion becomes something useful for weddings and funerals and perhaps a certain kind of individual therapy or self-improvement resource, but was otherwise dispensable. So the currents of energy that flow through salvation as salvation is represented in the, the scriptural message and then the experience of so many of you and so many like you who gather in places like this for worship today around the globe, these currents of energy engage more than a compartmentalized individual religious preference. It's about life itself. In all its messy and many splendored mystery. So salvation is not just about personal destiny. It's also about humanity's destiny. Salvation is human engagement for formation, hence the word sculpting, soul sculpting. Formation of the sort that fashions something only God can make. And it fashions this something in this world. Hence our weekly prayer, thy will be done.
thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So this brings us to this morning's text, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Because it is this text that brought me to these thoughts about salvation that I've been sharing with you and these further thoughts. Listen to the text again, if you will, please. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, or my dear family. Where does that therefore come from? I appeal to you, therefore. Well, naturally, in grammatic structure, it comes from the passage that was just penned by Paul before he wrote these words. And in that passage, he has just reaffirmed that the entire human family is embraced in God's covenant good life. God's covenant of creation. God's covenant of just love. Therefore, brothers and sisters, my dear family, he writes, by these mercies of God, present your bodies, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Think about that phrasing for a moment. I wonder if the emphasis he would have made if, if we hear him speaking those words might be on the pronoun your. Present your bodies, not someone's else. Present yours. Present your resources, not someone's else. Present your bodies. And he's also writing to a city, to the Christians in a city that he's ne never yet visited. Rome. And he's writing to the communities of Christ followers that had begun to form in certain parts of this city. And so he can be heard to be saying, using the word bodies in a, in a social sense, not just your individual bodies, present those bodies of worshipers, this one here and this one here and this one over here in Rome. Present these bodies, your bodies, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now that phrase is troublesome because it sounds like it just summarily removes the concern from anything in this world. Your spiritual worship, isn't that another world? Isn't that another kind of place? We've got other kind of work to do in this world that doesn't always look very spiritual. In fact, it looks kind of messy uh, sometimes in trying to make a living and trying to contend with the, the uh, uh, competing forces and trying to uh, make our way in uh, uh, settings that don't always uh, yield to what our preferences might be. And so when we hear this phrase, spiritual worship, we might need some help with what that means. Do you remember the story of Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. Zacchaeus was a man who was at the edge of Jericho, and he learned that Jesus was on his way into town. He had heard about Jesus. He wanted to see him because he had been impressed by what Jesus was doing. 
So Zacchaeus was uh, short of physical stature and couldn't quite see through and see over and figure out where Jesus was, so he ran ahead of the crowd and climbed up in a tree. And when Jesus came along, Jesus looked up and saw him, and he said, Zacchaeus, come on down. I'm going to visit in your home today. Well, Zacchaeus was a tax collector. And that's a little different than tax collectors today, because then the tax collector, he was a chief tax collector, had other tax collectors under him, organized the collection of the, the oppressive pagan government's tax system among the uh, people of Israel, and sent the monies off to Rome. Despised figure. Often, tax collectors were figures who, who skimmed a little or a lot off the top, more than they were supposed to do, and ended up very, very wealthy and very, very hated and resented. So here's, here's Zacchaeus, and Jesus is saying to him, I'm going to your house today for dinner. And they say, really? To this sinner's house? That was the word, the, the word that's used to describe him in the biblical text. They were confused and resentful and angry because Jesus was going to the home of this sinner. And sinner may have fit Zacchaeus in certain ways, and it may not. One way it fit for certain is it was a public designation for anyone who was a tax collector. It was a public designation. Sinner. And so he lived with that identity as he did his work and moved, about, moved among his people. He wasn't a Roman collecting Roman taxes. He was an Israelite collecting Roman taxes. And so there was this disturbance in the thought of the crowd. And they weren't clear on why Jesus was going. So when Zacchaeus got down out of the tree and heard these rumblings, he said, he stood up. And when the text says he stood up, you can see him pulling himself to his full height and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. Here and now, half my possessions. And if I have cheated anyone, it's not clear he has. Some tax collectors were more or less honest. If I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. You know what Jesus said? <laughs> he said we'd better, he didn't say, we'd better build a public monument to this guy. He said, today salvation has come to this house. Salvation? Salvation in the form of acts of generous justice that were intended to address the needs of the community. Because that's the way justice to the poor was done in the community of that day. Individuals would give. And systems would involve individuals in, in sharing out resources so that the needs of the widows and the orphans and others could be, could be met. 
For Jesus, it seems that an act of justice was also an act of salvation, an expression of salvation. Today, salvation has come to this house. Back to soul sculpting now for just a moment. The shape of Zacchaeus' soul is beginning to be renovated, is taking on an apparently new shape. I'm picking up some language for this from the text in Romans. Because after Paul says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is your, which is the, your spiritual worship, that is the natural outcome of your devotion to God, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Do you hear those three words? Not conformed, but transformed by renewing. Renovation of mind, of soul, of heart. That's what was happening in the life of Zacchaeus. And I'm pretty sure that that renovation, that re-sculpting of Zacchaeus' soul was going to have a re-sculpting effect on the life of that community. There were others who would see it and who would come to understand that salvation is not just going to heaven, it's doing the right thing, it's doing well, it's doing good, it's doing justly here and now. Perhaps we can be empowered by God's grace to go and expand our already developing salvation into larger expressions that help to sculpt a more just society too. Because in sculpting the soul, we're also sculpting the context in which that soul functions. Let me conclude with this thought. A um, pastor theologian by the name of Miroslav Wolf has written on the theme of forgiveness and grace and restoration. And in what he writes, he says, you know, there are people who are interested in adjusting the social arrangements by which we live, and that can be a good thing, if done well and truly. But he said, I am more interested in shaping the human beings who shape the social arrangements. Isn't that what we're doing right here today? And if we do that well, not just today, but in the days of the coming week in our actions, our devotions, and our self-giving. We'll be contributing to shaping a society that does what? Comes closer, maybe, to reflecting what God intends, that individuals living together in hope and purpose and the common good seek to achieve. What does God want society's great body of human energy and talent to be and do? That's what you're deciding here today in your own response to God's presence. And we give God thanks. Amen.